Okay, so we're going we're gonna to be continuing functions. Uh, we'll continue with value returning functions today. We'll talk about parameter passing modes. Uh, we'll also get into using um, arrays with functions, and I think we'll also get into void functions as well. We'll see how far we get. All right, so I've posted some new reading assignments on Carmen. Basically, they pertain to uh, either void functions or using arrays with functions. And you can expect these kinds of questions to be in the midterm next week. So I suggest that you look through those. And I've also uh, posted some corresponding lecture notes on those as well. It's like a supplemental material to get yourself uh, familiar with functions. So from this point, really, you can expect the midterm, which is, I guess, next week, right, next Tuesday. You're going to have a list of like three, two to three. Sometimes I even have one question, but probably two to three uh, function prototypes or function deck relations. And you're to provide implementation of that function or the definition. So I give you the function deck relations, and then I explain to you what the function is supposed to do. Uh, I give you a, de uh, a, def um, a description of what the arguments are, what they're supposed to correspond to. And you provide the definition, which is the body of the function. And this is a great way to scope... Um, not scope in the C++ terms, but scope the problem to like specific like slots on an exam. So functions are really great for, for instructors. So we don't have to say like, oh, you know, write an entire program because you only have 48 minutes. Um, by the way, even though the class is an hour and 18 minutes, it will be 48 minutes for the exam. So you only have 48 minutes for this exam, so it's great to use functions to scope the problem into like little slots so. of like sub-problems. So. All right, any questions um, on functions so far? And also expect, uh, we'll have a new homework assignment on Thursday as well, so. Okay, so let's talk about. Do, do we have class this Thursday? Because on, on Carmen it says we don't. Oh yeah, there's no class this Thursday, but I'll, I'll assign um, a homework. Okay. Yeah, there's no class this Thursday. <laughs> Although check Carmen because it will be a homework assignment. So that will be due on Tuesday. Okay, so uh, functions. <coughs> Parameter <coughs> passing modes. So this is one essential or fundamental difference between Excel functions or like functions you would see in a worksheet uh, on a spreadsheet program and functions that you would see in a programming language. So when you're working with a worksheet in Excel, for example, uh, Excel's a very declarative sort of user interface, right? You basically tell Excel, hey, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the sum of, the, of this column. And it gives you the sum. So there's no really notion of, of making like a procedure or, making, or implementing an algorithm to do certain things. Uh, you don't have to tell Excel how to do the sum. It knows how to do the sum. And that's not going to be the case in C++ uh, because I'm going to be asking you how to implement these functions. So in this sense, and since uh, C++ is something called an imperative language, uh, where you have variable duck relations, you have control over different memory locations, um, what really is the fundamental difference between like a program like Excel and programming in C++ is that you have these parameter passing modes. So depending on what mode you're using to pass your arguments to the function, after the function call, um, certain things that you had access to, memory speaking, uh, may or may not change, depending on the modes. So this has no bearing in Excel at all, right? Because there are no variables. You don't pass variable values to a function, right? You just 
either pass um, a row or column, uh, a cell reference. Um, I guess you can think of a cell changing as a result of a function call, but that doesn't happen in Excel, right? So we have three different modes. The first one is actually the one that we've seen so far. This is called call by value. Um, another one is called call by name. And lastly, there's something called call by reference. So you have these three different modes available to you in a C++. All right, so uh, we won't be going over call by name in this class. We can do what we need to do with the other two. So just know that there is such a thing as call by name in C++ as a parameter passing mode, but you don't need to know the details of it. And if you're interested, I'm sure I can direct you to some resources. I'm sure even the book mentions it. And does anyone know if the book mentions call by name? I think it did when I read it. Anyway, not important for this class. What is important are these two, call by value and call by reference. And this happens to be the default <coughs> mode. And this is very ex important, except for arrays. So this is what we've been using so far for the functions that we've made in class, uh, for the functions we've seen in our book and lecture notes. So by default, which means by no other specification, the modes, um, the parameter passing mode of your functions is going to be called by value. And in fact, this is very similar to the way uh, things work in Excel or a spreadsheet program in general. So I'll write that. Quotes. And what this also means is that copies are being made. So when you send an argument to a function, a copy of that argument is being passed to the function as its own value. So you have your own copy of the argument, and the function has its own copy of the argument. And this is the way it works. Uh, for Excel example, uh, the functions get their own copies. So when you sum up a, like a column in Excel, for example, those, the values of those columns don't change as a result of calling the sum function. Because you can imagine that the sum function has its own copy, or it has like a read-only copy of those of those columns or the cells in the column, and that's what we have so far in C++ and the ones we've been learning. And it's very important in C++ to know this, and you might want to say it to yourself every night before you go to bed five times in the mirror. Uh, call by value is the default parameter passing mode in C++, except for arrays. So we haven't actually seen an example, I don't think, where we pass an array as an argument to a function. But you can. You can have this sort of thing. And it's not very complicated to set up. But know that you cannot pass the kinds of arrays that we've been working with, in fact, all arrays, really, in C++, uh, by value. So you cannot make a copy of an array uh, by passing it to a call by value function. The only way to pass an array is by call by reference. So this will be the default mode for arrays only. <coughs> oh, 
Otherwise, you need a special specifier um, called the reference operator around your, your parameter names to specify that you're going to have a function that's a call by reference function, or a call by reference argument, rather. And by the way, you can mix these two up. Did you guys have a question? Question? No? Okay. So you can actually mix these. You can have certain arguments to the same function be called by uh, value. You can have other ones be called by reference. In fact, if you have one um, parameter that's an array, I think we actually have seen some array examples that I think about it. And you have another parameter that's the size of the array as an integer. Uh, you would have one instance of call by reference, another one called by value. <coughs> okay, so this, this potential here is something called side effects. So what do I mean by a side effect? Well, imagine you had an Excel worksheet and you said to sum up a, 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 a series of columns, right? Give me the sum for this column set. Imagine as a result of calling that sum function, the values of those columns or the values in the cells of that column changed. In C++, we call that a side effect. So by calling the function, as a result, something has changed in memory after the function call. So the function has special ways to manipulate variables, for example, or other arguments. So that's called a side effect. This is not how it's done in Excel. Otherwise, you'd be pretty peed, I would think, right? I would, I wouldn't be very happy if I, you know, called the sum function in Excel and, and my my data changed. That would not be good. <laughs> how? Not how it is done in Excel. And in this case, no copies are being made. Instead, the actual value or a reference to are passed. Actual values are passed to the function. So they're both fundamentally different parameter passing modes. Any questions on that? No? Okay. Hmm. All right, let's take an example. So let's say this is my main program, or my main, my main function, rather. And I'm not going to use separate compilation, although we went over that last time. <coughs> so let's keep it simple. Let's say we have this function called ink. So let's say your friends in CSE202 uh, don't know that there is an incrementation operator, namely the plus plus operator in C++. So you sell them a function called inc for $5 that merely increments the, sum, uh, incre increments the argument by one that's sent to it. 
So you send an integer and it returns, this is a value returning function, uh, 1 plus num. And you might want to write that in comments before the function. Returns 1 plus whatever was sent as the argument. And by the way, it's very common to write like descriptions of, of the function near or around the declaration in comments of what it does. And of course, you're selling this to your friends in CSC202. You might want to have this in a different file like we had in the last class. But just for simplicity, I'll keep it in the same file. All right, so let's pretend we call this function. Let's say we have an integer variable called sumNum. And we set sumNum to be time. And let's say we output the results of the function call to ink. So this would print 11. Hopefully, right? If the function works as it's supposed to. And let's say it's all this, this is called a client program, rather, by the way. So when I refer to a client program or a client function, rather, uh, you can think about the function that calls another function. So here, main is calling the ink function, which I declared up here. And I'm going to define underneath here. And of course, you're going to sell this. Um, you're going to have to do this in separate files, like we saw in that last class. So I'll continue up here. So remember, here is the declaration of the function. Here is the definition of the function. So all it is is a copy and paste job between the declaration and the definition at first. With one exception. Does anybody remember what that exception was? <coughs> what do I not copy over and replace with? Yes? What, what do I replace it with? Uh, the braces. Yeah, compound statement. Right, good. Or block. Okay, and this is called a function header, by the way. So the, the line that you copy from the declaration is also referred to as a header. And of course, this whole thing is, is referred to the implementation or the definition. And I'll abbreviate that, D-E-F-N. All right, so this is a very simple function because I'm going to de demonstrate the modes of parameter passing. And here, uh, some num is an argument to the function. Let me get my different color chalk here. will be good today. So this will be an argument. So the value of some num, namely 10, will be an argument to the function. Uh, num here, however, will be the parameter. And I'll abbreviate that P-R-A, uh, P-A-R-A-F. So a question for you guys. Uh, can I name the parameter the same as the variable name in my main, for, uh, my main function? <coughs> Could I have named num instead of num? Can I have said sum num? Yeah. They're two different scopes. Conversely, I could have named sum num to be num or num. Right? I could have said that in my main uh, function here, I could have said num, and then num is assigned 10, and send num here. And they'd be talking about completely different nums, different variables, right? So in the memory location for this function, you can think of it that way. In memory, 
There is a location for some new somewhere. <laughs> some noom, it's four bytes, and we store it in there at 10. And you can think of memory being split. Namely, when main runs, when the main function runs, there's a portion of memory for main. And every time main calls another function, sort of like memory divides. So there's another portion of uh, memory for the function that's being called. This is for ink. And ink has a parameter called new. And parameters are very much like variables, except that they come from the outside world. So they're sent as input to the function. So here is uh, new. And when main calls new, the copy of some new is sent into new. Like that. So at this point, this very first line of the, of the ink function, uh, new has a value 10 in this context. So we're looking at this side by side, but um, given this main function or given this client function, it could, it could be another function, by the way, the value of new would be 10. But generally, we can't say what the value is because we don't know like what functions will be calling this one in general. Okay, so can anyone give me a very quick uh, implementation or definition of the ink function? It's quite simple. Return num plus plus. Yes. Return num plus plus. Uh, okay, good. Return num plus plus. Everyone okay with that? Does it look all right? So given 10 as new for the parameter, uh, would it return 11? What's well, good to me, right? So the statement says, um, it's a pretty complicated statement because there's a lot going on at one time. Oh, actually. Uh, that wouldn't work. I don't think it would work, would it? No, it would return 10. Yeah. Yeah, so this would actually re not, re it would just return the original number. So why is that? Good. It operates after. Yes? It operates after. Yeah, so it's a post incrementation operator, right? So after the statement's evaluated, then it'll go back and increment new uh, by one. But guess what the statement says? It says return to the caller, right? So the calling function, which is main, uh, will get the number 10. Here. And then, after this function's done, I guess, uh, noom gets 11. But what happens to noom? Its scope goes away, right? It's just like a compound statement ending. In fact, we do have a compound statement ending here. Uh, it drops off the face of the planet. So, so noom is gone. Once, once the call to ink is completed, namely at this point, uh, noom is gone and we have some up, which is 10. All right, so how can we fix this? Move the plus plus. Yeah, move it to a free implementation operator. Okay, does that work? Uh, let's see. So first, before we do anything else, we increment new by one. So if it was originally 10, it becomes 11. Then perceive with the statement, which says return num, which happens to have the value 11. And now we print 10 here. 
Uh, excuse me, 11 here. So this one works fine. The kids at CSE uh, 202 won't complain too much. Otherwise, maybe they, they would. They would ask for our $5 back, I'm sure, if it didn't work correctly. Or you can just tell them there's an incrementation operator. Great. So that's call by value, which is the default um, mode for non-arrays, right? So num here is not an array. It's a so-called um, scalar variable, so it's only one value. So it's by call by, call by value, right? And this is really analogous with the situation you have in Excel. If you want, for example, the average of a column, the data in those cells in that column do not change once you have the function call. Okay, so let's see call by reference. Um, so, to specify a call by reference mode, you use something called uh, the reference operator. So the reference operator, namely ampersand, and by the way, it's a single ampersand. And C++, unfortunately, a lot of operators get reused in multiple contexts. It's quite confusing. Uh, I guess you could say the same thing for English. You probably a lot of different words that mean different things in different contexts. Um, I'm sure that's true in the English language. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Anyone can think of anything? Like a word that, that means different things in different contexts? I'm drawing a blank. I can't think of any. Anyway, maybe we'll make that extra credit. Again, that's the English question now. So anyway, in C++, a lot of operators get reused over and over again. They mean different things in the different contexts they're used in, but they're the same symbol. Um, well, here it's not quite the same because we only have a single one. But I did talk about a, um, a bitwise operation, right? Which is the bitwise um, and operation that, that uses this, this symbol or this operator. But in this context, it's called a reference operator. All right, so the reference operator is used to specify that a particular parameter is passed by reference. And the way you use it is that you proceed, so you place ampersand um, either immediately, um, let me see this, in between, it actually doesn't matter where in between, in between the type name and parameter name. So to make this um, call by reference, or this argument new call by reference, we just place an ampersand right after the type name. Uh, you can put it right before the, ver uh, the parameter name. You can, you can have spaces around it if you want. Uh, it's up to you. I'd like to put mine right after the type name. Uh, so it's sort of like, mm, sort of portrays to me that, okay, this parameter is being passed by reference. And it's sort of like part of its type. 
So it's not really an integer, it's actually a reference to an integer. So that's the way I like to write it. But you guys can write it any way you phrase. Okay, so it's a copy and paste job between the declaration and the function header, which is the first line of the definition. So I need to write the same thing here. Okay, so let's run this again. So the main function declares a variable called sumNum, assigns it to be 10. It uses sumNum as the value of an argument passed to the ink function. Uh, at this point, the ink function starts to execute, and it's passed a reference to the argument new. The one and only line of ink says, add 1 to new. Well, guess what? What is new in this context? A relocation where some num is. Yes. The, the memory location where some num is held. It's a reference, right? Uh, we haven't talked about memory locations yet, but you can think of it that way if it helps. Uh, we will only get into pointers, but yeah. So you can think of new not actually being its own variable in the memory of ink, but in fact. It refers to some new. It's a reference to some new. So whatever you do to new has uh, side effects to some new, which is the argument sent to the function. So, namely, if you add one to new, well, guess what you're actually doing? You're, you're incrementing one to or adding one to some new up here, which is the argument. So you can think of it this way: you follow the link from new to what the link ends at, and here it's some new. And when you have a call by reference, you make the link between the argument and the parameter, or the parameter and the argument, rather. OK. Oh, I guess I should have, I should have had one more C out statement here, rather. Let me add one here. And this is where you're going to see the difference. And this is called, again, a side effect of the function call. So new. And return zero. Okay. So um, well does the function work? In in the in the context that we had we evaluated last time? So namely this does a loving get printed here? Well let's see. So you, you pass in the value of new, or actually a reference to new. You add 1 to that reference, right? Now, so this becomes 11. And then you return the value of 11. So by the way, return, in this, in this context, really, when we say that we return an int, we really have a copy of the, re the return expression substitution, or the evaluation of the return expression. So a copy is made of this value. And it doesn't really matter for our con in our context right now. But 11 gets printed here. So that works in that sense. It still works the same as the other one, in that 11 gets printed. But what gets printed here? So the value of some num, well, the value of some num is going to be 11. So this also prints 11. <coughs> Whereas before, I know I kind of regret not having that up there before, but that would print 10 before. So if I remove the reference operator, Actually, from both of these, right? 
This would print 10, and this would print 11. If I add the reference operator, which I wasn't covering with a hand, um, they would both print 11. So the way you can think of it is that every time a function is called, um, memory splits. That's one way to think of it. And each function has its own like block of memory. And the only way these functions can communicate is by either return values or by passing references. So those are sort of like the ways functions communicate with the outside world. Does everyone understand the difference? Okay, so why do you want to use return by reference? Anyone have any ideas why we want to use something like this? This is a pretty crappy ink function, I think, right? I mean, I wouldn't want to use this in my program, would you? Probably not. If I thought it was going to be incrementing the, uh, returning the values to increment the argument, it happens to have side effects, and it's just like a case of the sum changing, the sum function in Excel changing the value of my columns. You don't want to use that function, right? Uh, so why would we want to use return by reference? Are there any ideas? What's the motivation? And uh, let's not list, you get to use another cool operator as one of the motivations for using call by reference. And let's not list uh, another way to confuse students on exams. Any ideas? I can think of one. Um, I, think, I think the most obvious one, really, is that, well, how many things can functions return? How many values at a time? One, yeah. Um, however, if you have a reference to one of the arguments that's passed into the function, you can sort of use that as another way to communicate with the caller function, or the calling function, rather. So even though you only have one return value, you sort of like had two effects here, right? That you had, okay, a return value that prints 11 here, and you have reverse also affected, or the ink function has affected this, this, var this variable as well. So it really had effects on two different statements here in the main function. So you sort of can get away with returning multiple things, and I say returning very easily, uh, loosely rather, loosely rather, so you're not really returning multiple things, but you're sort of like returning one thing but filling in other stuff. Um, when we get the void functions in a bit, you'll see that you can return nothing, or void, the void type, and just fill in some arguments. So you can, you can use that as a communication mechanism between functions. So one motivation, I like to call them uh, fill-in parameters. So motivation. So you can have in the description of your function declaration, you can say, well, after the call to my function, you know, this argument will have this value. So basically the main uh, or the caller function makes a variable to hold that result, right? So it has its representation in memory, uh, uses that as a call by reference argument to the function, and after the function call is complete, um, that has some value in it that the function, the calling function intended to have. For example, we could make the ink function something called a void function. 
So I'll talk about a little bit of it right now before I get to more motivation. So void functions are simply functions that have no return value or return type or value. Uh, these are specified as void. And void is a keyword. So it's a reserved word. So if you have a function that has no way to communicate um, what it's doing back to the calling function, at least by uh, means of a return value, well, how can you have it communicate with the rest of the world? Let's see. So let's turn the ink function into a void function. And you can sort of think of a void function as like a black box again. And it has maybe like some inputs, but no output. So this is a void function. OK, so if we wanted to make a void function, I'll change the vector uh, relation as follows. All we do is, instead of having int as the return type, we just say void. <coughs> so now the evaluation of a call to ink is actually just nothing. Uh, you can't use it in a, like a program like this, for example. So let's rewrite the main function here. All right, we'll use uh, same variable name. Some noon. We'll assign some noon to be ten. Okay. So I can't say this anymore. This won't print anything pretty. Take my word for it. So there's no evaluation to the function to call it anymore. It's just a dead value, like a like a blank void. You can think of it that way, like a black hole. Uh, so what we need to do here is actually just call the function. So this is what a void function call looks like. You don't assign the return value to any variable. You don't output it to the screen. All it is is a function call and any number of parameters it might have. And now let's print out some, uh, some new. In fact, let me make this by value first, and I'll compare and contrast. So sum nim here, and return zero. All right. OK, and let's rewrite the definition of this function. So first we'll do call by value, and then we'll do call by reference to see the difference. All right, so a simple copy and paste job. Except that we have a, um, a void return type, and it's going to be just return plus plus. Oh, we can't do that. 
Oh, so you can't use a keyword return. Never mind. In a void function. No, it doesn't make... Um, yeah, that, that's probably an error. Okay, so we remove the, the, um, the return statement. We just say plus plus new. So void functions do not have any instances of the return keyword. And let's take a look at memory again. And since we have two, or actually one function call in this example, we'll have space in memory for main, and we'll have space in memory for ink. Uh, main has a single variable called uh, some new. Ink has a parameter called new. Both are integers at the moment. Okay, so some new gets 10. Write that in here. All right. And now we call some ink given some new, uh, some new or new rather, since it's called by value, we'll copy in value 10 in the space for new. Um, the first thing ink does, in fact, the only thing it does is increment new by one. Call ends. So what gets printed here? Who says 10? Who says 11? Who says your computer catches on fire? Let's see. So some new is a variable in the memory portion for main. So we sent in a copy of the new uh, variable, right? Because this is going to be called by, uh, call by value. So when you call, you call the function, a copy of the value of some new is copied into the uh, parameter for new. So initially it's 10, it gets incremented by 1, so that's 11. The function call ends, so this gets this, this one um, falls off the face of the planet. So you can think of when a function is called, memory splits for that function, but when a function ends, and by the way, there's sort of like an implicit return here. Yeah, you know what? Totally mark it off the record. You can use return into, uh, in uh, void functions. Uh, what you can't do is actually return a value. Sorry about that. So you can't say return plus plus new, for example. You just say return just ends, ends the function, and it's implicit here, actually. So this is optional. Scratch that. Sorry about that. Uh, you can write it there if you like. You can actually have multiple return statements in a void function, depending on certain conditions. Um, and at the end of the function, it's optional. OK. All right, and then, so sum num is now, after the function call, still 10. So once the function ends, you can think of memory just dropping off the face of the planet. So when a function begins execution, memory splits. And when a function end, ends execution, the memory space for that function disappears. You can sort of think of it that, that way. OK, so once this function is done, namely the function is returned back to the caller, this doesn't exist. It's gone. So the only value we have here is 10. So this would print 10. Question? No? Yeah, so that's right now prints 10. OK, so what if we did call by uh, reference, rather? So let's change it.
All right, let's see it again. So we have a, value, uh, a variable sum new. It's integer uh, type, and we add 10 to that variable. All right, then we use sum new as an argument to a call by reference parameter. So in this case, we make the link. We match up new to sum new. Right, the first parameter of this function, inc, uh, is matched with the argument from the main call, uh, calling context here. So now we start executing the function. A portion of uh, memory is split for inc. And now num refers to the sum num variable. So you can sort of think of this dotted line here sort of like a wall. Like these guys can't see each other. The only way they can communicate is through like either return values or call by reference. So for example, you couldn't say like C out num here, and you couldn't say C out uh, sum num here in this function. And we went through this with like the, the different scopes, right, with compound statements. It's a similar concept. Truly the same concept. Anyway, so now we increment num by 1. So now sum num is no longer 10. It's going to be 11. All right, so we just follow a link from num to sum num. And now the function ends. So this, is, this gets wiped off the face of the planet, no longer exists. And now we're left with sum new because we return to the calling context here. And now we print what? Let me make this a different color. Eleven. So call by reference uh, prints eleven. So purple means call error. So even though inc in this context is a void function, it has no return value, it looks like this, right? It looks like a black box with just spokes coming into it. Uh, it still has a way to communicate back to the caller, in this case it's main, and the way it does it is by call by reference. So you sort of like simulated a return value, even though it's a void function. Any questions? Good to go? Okay, so that's one motivation for color reference. You get to sort of simulate return values in C++. It's not true of all languages, by the way. Like, for example, it wouldn't work in Java. Um, but you can do it in C++. You can have... A mixture of call by reference and call by value arguments. You can have a returning function, right? A value returning function like we saw earlier with a call by reference. Um, all sorts of crazy stuff. I think a good practice is that if you're going to be using call by reference um, to fill in function or argument values, rather, you probably want to make that a void function just to be clear to the caller. So... So in this way, you can sort of like communicate the different, multiple things to the caller, uh, the calling function, and you can do so by filling in the values of these arguments. So this is like a, I call this a fill-in argument instead of like a returning value. So, all right, so that's motivation number one. There's another good motivation for, so motivation for pass by reference. So one is the fill-in parameters, and two, well, this is kind of an obvious one. 
can't pass arrays any other way. So it's not really a motivation, but it's sort of a requirement. So if you want to use arrays in your function, and I'll see that in a moment, um, you can only use it uh, pass by. You can only use pass by reference. So there's no other way to use an array in your function, or at least as a parameter to your function. It's a very good reason for that, and we'll, when we talk about pointers eventually, uh, we'll get into why that is. All right. So there actually is a third reason, which doesn't have anything to do with arrays. Can anyone see a potential problem with call by value? A problem not really in the correctness of your code, but let's say in the performance or execution time. So what if you're dealing with a lot of data? And let's say you're dealing with a very large array, and you iterate through this array, you may be using a while loop, and each time you call the ink function. Um, <coughs> And let's say ink didn't have an integer as, as a parameter, but it has, let's say, a double. So instead of four bytes, it has eight bytes. Or maybe even something larger that we haven't gotten over yet. So any potential performance issues there? So what happens when you, when you do a call by value? It gets copied, right? So the value from the memory location that corresponds to the argument gets copied into another variable. And if you have very large variables, and uh, we'll get into that later, I guess the largest one we've seen are, is 8 bytes so far, right? The double variables, or the long longs. Uh, but we get into our own uh, data types when we make our own data types for C++. Uh, you can have arbitrarily large data types. So for example, you may have a data type corresponding to the student. A student may have an integer for a student ID. It may have, um, you know, a character, an array of characters for the student's name, or so on and so forth. So you can have very large data items. And if you need to copy those for lots of different data, for example, all students at Ohio State University, it would be a lot of students, um, you can have some pretty heavy performance um, degradation there. So there's a lot of copying. Copying takes time. And if you're copying a lot of data, that's going to take a lot of time. So another motivation for password reference is uh, avoid copying. So avoid copying large data items. So instead of making copies of this large data uh, instead, you pass a reference to the data. And you say, hey, here it is. Go get it. And when you're communicating over networks and stuff, this is great. So if, you have, if you're, let's say you're having uh, two different programs that are on two different computers. Uh, one is in the United States, the other one's in China. And they need to communicate. Um, pass a reference is great. So it says, hey, here's my you know, HTTP address, my URL for this piece of data, go and get it. I'm not going to send it to you. Whenever you need it, you can go and get it. But anyway, in our situation, you can sort of avoid this copying using call by reference. So, and hopefully, I mean, it doesn't really, like, motivation's not really clear right now, because we haven't really got to, like, very large data items. Uh, but let's say that a reference 
uh, it takes up four bytes. Just out of, it depends on your architecture. But let's say the reference of, or your, the size of your memory and the addressable memory space. Uh, let's say your references take up four bytes, and let's say that you're passing a double, which is eight bytes. So instead of sending over four bytes or copying four bytes, uh, rather eight bytes, you're only copying four bytes. And if you do this for a lot of different data, let's say like, you know, the balance for every student at Ohio State, um, that's a lot of copying you save. In fact, it's half. What's one problem with that, though? So if I'm going to use call by reference to save on performance or time or execution time, instead of call by value, what is a potential problem as far as the correctness of the software is concerned and not by performance at all? So what if you bought a function from the, from the guys at CSE 202? You bought a library of functions for them, right? And for performance reasons, you're having every argument being called by reference. Because let's say you're using very large data types, like doubles or long longs or something. Um, what's one potential problem? <clears throat> if it's called by reference. Everyone remember this example? Right, so let's say some, um, some statement from CSE 202 writes you this inc function. Let's say you don't know that there is a plus plus operator in C++. And you use call by reference, right, for performance reasons. Right, it returns one plus new. But you call it, and this prints 11 here, right, that's, that's correct. But when you, call, when you print some new again, it, it prints 11 as well. Right, which is a problem because you wanted something to be 10. And a side effect, right? You weren't expecting ink to change the value of some new. So this goes again to the, to the example where you have some function in Excel and the some function changes the contents of your cells after calling some. Very bad function, right? This is a bad function. You don't want to use this function because it does something it's not supposed to do. So because you're giving uh, ink a reference to your argument, it can do whatever it wants. It can multiply it by two, it can divide it by three, who knows? It can take the floor of it. It can totally reassign it to another value. So you can't, if you can't see the code, right? If you can't see the code of the definition of this ink function, you may not be sure what's going on in there. In fact, if it's a very complicated function, even if you can't see the source code, uh, it may not be apparent right away what's going on, that that value's being changed. So this is very dangerous. And in fact, if you're writing your own functions to be called by your own functions, uh, you may accidentally, even though you didn't intend to, alter the value of a parameter that was passed by reference. And you get, you know, you can't find the bug. You're, you're up all night looking, you know, it's due like the next morning, and you're up all night looking for this error, and you can't find it. So, um, to combat this, there is something called constant parameter passing in C++. So this sort of gives you the best of both worlds. Um, this is 
remotely related to constants um, that we've seen so far, like the const keyword. Uh, in fact, we're going to use the same keyword, unfortunately. But that's okay. This will do that a lot. So, um, the keyword is const. And you place the key const keyword to say that a parameter is being passed as a constant parameter. before the type name of the parameter. This indicates, or specifies, that the parameter is quote-unquote read-only. And in fact, this works with both modes. You could specify that a, uh, a call by value argument is pass, uh, passed by a constant parameter, or that a call by reference argument is a constant parameter. Uh, either one. However, it makes the most sense with pass by reference. Because if you pass um, a call by value argument as a, as a constant, as a constant uh, parameter, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <coughs> So you're saying that, all right, the argument can't change from my point of view. But the other guy has, right, the other function has its own copy anyway. Um, so you can do that. One, one, time, um, one good reason for that is to sort of like communicate to the caller of your function that this, this um, parameter is not supposed to change. Uh, but it really makes the most sense when, when being used as by pass by reference. So let's say that, you know, you want to use a reference here for the ink function because you want the efficiency, right? You want to avoid copying, but at the same time, you don't want the um, students from CSE202 to like screw with your arguments, right? So you don't want some new to be incremented by one, right? You want the return value here to be some new plus one, but you don't want, in fact, the value of something to change. In fact, you want some new to print down here to be unchanged. So you can say that some new or new in this example is being passed uh, as a constant reference. And the way you do that is as follows. So look like this. Uh, int, this is the original one, inc, const, int, reference, New. So that would be your declaration, and of course, the function header would be just a copy and paste job. So this says a reference of the argument, or I should say to the argument, corresponding. new, so in this example would be, or the one I just erased really, it's some new, is read only. So it gets past a reference, but you can't, the function implementation or the function definition cannot change the value of that reference. So for example, 
Uh, if we added the cost keyword here, so if we said that the num parameter is a constant reference, um, guess what? This would be a compile time error. So the compiler will not let you change this. So in that sense, it's sort of like declaring like a name constant. So if you declared a name constant called pi, you set it to 3.14. In fact, you shouldn't do that because there's a pi in the math library. But let's just say, that for example, you, if you said pi plus plus, or pi is assigned something else, uh, there's a constant. It's not supposed to change. So the compiler will, will give you an error at that time. And in fact, it will give you an error here as well. But know also the difference. The const in this context says that the parameter is being passed as a constant reference. Um, the const in the other context, namely name constants, means that the, um, the name representing the constant, the value of that name can't be changed. It's very similar, but also different. So one's a, a parameter passing mode. The other one is a way to declare constants of your own. Like 5 is a constant, literal 5 is a constant. And then you can say pi is also a constant, right? Or max, I think we had in the last one. So you'll see this a lot. Um, I'll use const here to say that, you know, some parameters don't change. So, for example, here, when the caller of your ink function reads the description, oh, it returns 1 plus new, and it knows automatically, the caller knows automatically that the value of this number won't change because it's passed by constant reference. And this is your copy, this is the ink's copy, and both are the same, right? except for the compound statement. So you both have the same copies. Both of you know that you can't change the value. So now, this will have the print then. So how would you fix this one? So that's a compile time error. How can we change that? To have it work correctly. Well, at least compile. Any suggestions? So we can't say return plus plus new, because that's a compile time error. So plus plus is a mutation operator, right? It's going to change the value of new. So how can we return the right answer without changing the value? Yes? Uh, make another variable? Yeah, you can do that, sure. <coughs> uh, you can make another variable. What's a really simple way to do it, though? So you want to return the value of new plus 1. So we could say, we can make another variable, let's say, called ret, which stands for the value to be returned, right? And I guess your suggestion would be to assign ret to be new, right? Plus one. Oh, yeah. OK, yeah, that would work here. That's what I was sitting at, actually. And then return ret, right? Yeah, that would work. That'd be fine. Or you can just say return new plus one. Yeah, either one's fine. Um, yeah, that works fine. So right is going to be the value to be returned. You assign a right to be new plus one and return the value of right. So you just read the value of new. You don't actually write to it, which means there are no assignment statements to it. Or there are no mutation operators like the post-increment operator or pre-increment operator. 
So that would be a fix. Good. Thank you. Um, any other questions on this? Any questions on motivations for pass by reference? No? Pretty clear? Um, how about motivations for void functions? Anyone can think of a motivation to have a void function? What if we had a function like this? Let's say I want a function that all it did was print to the screen uh, the word hello. Very exciting example. I'll make it a, well, I'll call it print hello. Uh, it takes no arguments. It's a very silly function. All it does is print hello to the screen. And what would the return value of this guy be? Would you expect? So if you call this function, and I'll write the main function here. Here's a call. This prints a lot to the screen, and that's all this program does. Calls it once. Maybe it calls it in a loop. I don't know. Return zero. So what would you expect the return type of that function to be, given that call? Starts with a D. The return type would be void. Yeah, void. So this is a function that solely um, uses the cout statement, or the cout um, stream, rather. So if you looked at the implementation or definition of print hello, it might look something like this. There's no return type, no return value. It just prints hello to the screen. Uh, notice, however, that it doesn't have access to C out by the pound include, right? Uh, pound include IO stream. So unfortunately, C out is sort of like a global variable here. Um, unfortunately, that's why we have to look at that. So, so yes, yeah, so this is called something called a procedure. It's another good thing void functions are, are good for. Um, is that you can make you can break larger problems down into smaller pieces, and for that you can use void functions. So you can think of like the smaller pieces you break a problem down into like being individual void functions. So they don't return anything to the caller; they just do like one specific thing. And of course, they could have arguments. Um, you can have arguments here. Let's say we made this function print whatever was you know, and whatever character you, you set as as, as the, uh, you put it there as the argument. So. Uh, so if you have a very complicated problem and you want to like recursively break it down into smaller problems or smaller chunks, you can write a void function for each one of those. We'll be doing that uh, later in the quarter as well. Any questions? All right. The very last thing I'd like to talk about today is sending um, arrays to functions. And what we know so far is that arrays are always sent by reference, and there's only a, like a slight syntax difference when using arrays. And I think we've probably seen it before, so we'll, we'll do one just for fun. So let's do a max function really quick. And we'll just do the, um, the function definition. We won't worry about 
the decorrelation and, and the main function, or the callback function. All right, so it's the Dunn's function. We'll say it's called max. Um, let's say it takes an array of integers <coughs> along with the size of the array. And I think we had an example about this last class. And it returns, um, which corresponds to the maximum number in the array. Uh, so to pass an array, the only difference here, to say that ARR is indeed an array, you just use square brackets there. So that says that ARR is an array. Um, would you expect this function to, to change the values uh, in the array? No, right? So we'll make it a constant reference, right? Because the array is by reference. Um, and oh, by the way, we can't return arrays. So we can't say that this returns an array like this, for example. We can't do that yet. We will later in the quarter. But for now, know that you can't return arrays. And the way to work that around that is to use the fill-in parameters that we talked about earlier. So anyways, this is just a single int here. Um, so let's make this a constant reference. So constant ARR, uh, open, close, square brackets, followed by the size. Uh, the size won't change either. Right, so you wouldn't expect that a max function to return to change the size of the array. Right, so that should be a read-only as well. That would be a bad function if it did. <coughs> and maybe for efficiency purposes, we'll make that by reference, just for fun. So both are read-only. Okay, so you get this array, and you get the size of the array, the number of valid elements in the array. <coughs> And your job is to iterate through the array. So this is like a sample um, question on, on the midterm. <coughs> so your job is to iterate through this array and find the maximum value and return it. So here's your array, ARR, it has, you know, there's some maximum size, um, but that's not important. What is important is that their size map of valid elements. So this is all garbage, and these are all valid values. Starts at 0, 1, 2, 3, up to... Uh, size minus one. Okay, so let's do that for homework for Thursday. So implement this function. So this will be a practice for the midterm. So give me, given that function header, or you can think of it as a function decoration. Um, write the definition, and I'll post this on Carmen as well. So one example would be. You had an array that had, uh, let's see, 
let's say it had one, two, three, four, five. Five elements, um, or five integers, let's say, and you'd have like negative 20, negative 20, negative 30, 50, and 50. So what would you expect the function to return in this case? What value? Yeah, I guess 50, but it's not actually that obvious because what else could you return? Depending on, on how you interpreted how to use this function. The hint is that I just wrote the indices underneath the elements. So the way I worded this function is that I said it returns the maximum value, right, in this array. So yeah, according to that, you would return 50. Either one, right? Um, but I could have worded it differently. I could have said that it returns the location or the index of the maximum value, in which case you'd return either what? Yeah, either three or four. Um, so let's say by value. So for this homework, we'll say it returns the maximum value. Now, you could do it by location as well, but we'll do it for consistency. We'll just say value. Any questions on that? If you did it by location, would it return three for those first five? Um, either one would be fine. It could be three or four. Um, if you may, you know, it depends how you describe your function. It's, it's a bit of a creative process. You can say, like, it returns the index of the first element that has the maximum value. In that case, you'd have to return three. If you describe your function to say it returns the last index of the maximum value, in that case, you'd have to return four. And if you leave it unspecified, you can return either one, which I don't think. It's arbitrary. So the caller, that means that the caller can't rely on the location of the index in that sense. So it returns an arbitrary index of the largest element. Oh, and by the way, they don't have to be sorted. So we could have made this 50. Oh, that wasn't sorted anyway, but. Um, yeah, so we still, if we're talk talking about values, we return 50 there. If we're talking about indices, we would return either 0 or 4. Well, let's do values. So I'll make a Dropbox for that. Um, and Carmen, and for Thursday, you guys can drop the implementation in there. And if you want, you can you can write like a main function to test it. So, all right. If there aren't any other questions, uh, I guess I won't see you Thursday because there's no class. Uh, but I will make an assignment on Thursday as well. So, even though there's no class, doesn't mean that there's no class. So keep up with Carmen. All right. See you next week. <laughs>